brothers and sisters, friends and comrades. This is the PRC Show. I am your host, Paul Cooley, and thank you for listening. Today, it is 56 degrees in Harrisburg and raining. Um, and on the show today, we have a big show. We have a big show, a great guest, a conscientious objector from the Vietnam War, uh, Mark Goldbach. So stick around for that conversation. It's a long, longer conversation, about 45 minutes. And uh, it's fascinating. It's great. Uh, he should be considered an American hero. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, right now, it's just me and uh, my roommate here doing the intro. Um, we're going to call him Tubert for the moment. He has different names throughout the week. Um, he's not going to talk. I don't think he can't talk for various reasons. But yeah, it's 56 degrees. It's been super hot. And now it's cooled off. It's been rainy. I don't know if you can hear the rain outside, but that's what's going on. I wanted to give a wrap-up of the marathon. People have been asking and emailing. You can email the show at prcshow at gmail.com. Though I'm terrible at checking emails, so so be it. Um, now, like I said before, I uh, I was, uh, you know, wanting to see how I was going to do on this marathon. My last one was my best. This was the fifth one I ran. My previous marathons were the times were over 10 minutes a mile, with the exception of the last one. So my first marathon was 4 hours and 27 minutes. My second one was 4.22, which is exactly a 10-minute pace. Then I ran one at 4.26. Then last year I ran it at 4.13. And, you know, I was pretty surprised by that because I wasn't thinking I was going to get a personal best, but I did. And this year I was feeling good. I thought I was going to get, like, my second best time. But, drum roll, no, no drum roll. I actually did get my personal best, 413 though. Again, it's not um, much better than last year's pay, uh, time. I finished uh, 35 seconds faster. <laughs> so, um, I don't know if we should really consider that a personal best. It's basically the same time. I ran a second and a half faster. So, Last year, my pace was 9 minutes and 40 seconds per mile average, and this year was 9 minutes and 39 seconds uh, 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 per mile. Now, I did have a strategy. When you're doing a marathon, you kind of do have to have a plan. Like, what's going to be your, how are you going to start? You know, when you hit the hills, what's going to be your plan? And I had, my plan this year was, I don't think I did enough training that I was going to be able to finish strong. So I wanted to go out that's Tubert if you can hear in the background he's like swiggling around and moving so I apologize oh god and that's probably his hold on a second I gotta get this hello oh hey hey I'm I'm recording a podcast so um can I call you back yeah he's just swiggling around okay all right thanks a lot yeah that was somebody that cares about Tubert. Um, anyways, you got to have a strategy. You know, you can't just go out there willy-nilly. And my plan was I'm going to try to do the first 10 at a 9-minute pace or close to that. Then I'd settle into like a 9.45 um, pace. And then I'd figure I would do the last 10... Uh, uh, like a 10 minute pace and I sort of did that actually um, I ran pretty fast and uh, the first 10 15 miles are pretty enjoyable and then when I realized that I could get my personal best 
it kind of uh, sucked because I was like, you know what, I, I don't want to just kind of mail this in and just relax. So I pushed myself and I end up getting, um, you know, 35 seconds faster than last year. And, you know, it, it was a nice sense of accomplishment. I feel good. I feel good that I didn't embarrass myself and that I'm, you know, I'm pretty close to a four hour marathon, which is still pretty slow. But uh, what's happening now is the older I get, I get put next year. If I can do this, I'll be even better in my age category. But I'm faster than half the people in my age category. I think I was like 191 out of 440. But next year, if I do it, I'll be in the 35 to 40 age group. This year, I'm in the 30 to 34. So uh, I'm above average, <laughs> which I'm fine with. anti-sponsor this week and uh books you know books that i haven't read and this book i read 30 mm, percent and i think i had some rule that you know of the books that i haven't read uh as long as it's less than 30 percent or something they, they can be sponsors this is an anti-sponsor and that is american sniper by chris kyle now you may know this name because there was a movie that came out the end of the last year but mostly playing you know january february is up for best picture best director all that stuff bradley cooper was up for um best actor and uh it's about a, a iraqi war veteran chris kyle who was a sniper that uh did a multiple tours of duty he was a navy seal and uh killed like 160 plus or more like has the most kills in the army and uh i guess the right-wing media and people were you know making this guy into a, a great hero and um, he's an american hero he did a lot of great things for our country um and uh i'm not sure if that's true um but tragically he uh was murdered and killed by um a PTSD war veteran on a shooting range. Uh, and, you know, it's terrible. He was, I guess, trying to help this guy deal with his this, his stressors of war, and he decided to take him out to a shooting range and shoot guns. And the guy was insane and shot him, though he wasn't tried in, as insane because the definition for insane is that you have to know that what you're doing is wrong. So... Uh, I think his name is Ruth or Kruth, Ray Kruth. He, well, he, he's going to jail. He was, that was recently uh, tried and he's going to go to jail. Terrible situation, just tragedy all around. Anyways, I read this book because I was a little bit unsettled by the glorification in heroism of, uh, that I heard of people talking at work about this guy, Chris Kyle. So I got the book and I started reading it and, you know, I was opposed to the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Just let me, of course I was. And, uh, this Chris Kyle had in his biography, he has a very simplistic view of things. And 
I, uh, let me just read from his book, okay? So he first starts off saying, like, uh, he, he's in this town. He talks about his first kill. He's in the town of Nazaria, Iraq, and he says, uh, oh, it smelled like a sewer. I'll never forget that smell. Um, and he's in this, uh, this is right at the beginning. So if you just want to even go to a bookstore and flip open the first page, you can read it right there. The, he, ta he talks about how the Marines are marching in, entering, the, entering this town. He's up on an old building. And uh, a woman steps outside of her house with a child. And he sees her pull out what looks like a grenade. And one of his uh, comrades is like, you're going to have to kill her. She's going to throw this grenade at the oncoming Marines. And the way he says this is, they're in this town, in Iraq, Nazaria. The Marines are entering the town. So, like, let's think about this for a second. A foreign military with guns, tanks, all that stuff is coming to enter your town. A woman that's lived there her whole life, I imagine, is like, wait a second, this, these Marines may kill me. Now, this I don't think enters into his mind. He says, she was blinded by evil to consider anyone else. She wanted Americans dead no matter what. This is her his words. Cause he, so he shoots her, okay? He shoots her. The grenade actually goes off and kills her and the kid. I think. He doesn't actually acknowledge that. My shot saved several Americans whose lives were clearly worth more than the woman's twisted soul. I can stand before God with a clear conscience about doing my job. But I truly, deeply hated that evil woman possessed. Wait, okay, I can't read. But I truly, deeply hated the evil that woman possessed. I hate it to this day. Savage, despicable evil. That's what we were fighting in Iraq. That's why a lot of people, myself included, called the enemy savages. There really was no other way to describe what we encountered there. Now, I just find that uh, understandable that you do that when you're in a war situation. You're going to make it black and white for survival. But, you know, I don't think the people over there would consider themselves savages, obviously. And maybe they would con consider Chris Kyle a savage for sniping people off a roof. Um, you know... In, in, in his book, it, it, he doesn't really go into much self-reflection, at least in the first 30% of the book that I read. Um, he says, uh, people ask me all the time, how many people have you uh, killed? And he's like, my standard response is, does the answer make me less or more of a man? The number is not important to me. I only wish I had killed more. It just doesn't seem like it bothered him. In fact, he goes on to say how it was fun to be over there and he had a great time. It was the best time of his life. Uh, he loved doing his job, and it, none of these kills uh, mattered to him. Um, and so, you know, then the book goes into the, his background, and he was a Texas, like, rancher and rodeo guy. And, um, Tubert? Not time to start talking now. Um, he, uh, real Christian, I guess, and uh, had a, he says he has a real strong sense of justice, sees things black and white, obviously. And, he, when he talks about 9-11, it made a big impact on him, and he wanted to go over there and uh, get revenge for what, um, you know, the terrorists did. And then he's like, but we had to wait a year. We weren't going to Afghanistan. We weren't going to get Al-Qaeda. We were going to Iraq. 
no insight. Then he doesn't even elaborate on, yeah, I found that kind of interesting, or, you know, um, just he's like, we're going to Iraq, and that's what's happening. And uh, I don't know, you know, uh, the guy's dead, and it's, you know, he's got a wife, and it's terrible, and just a horrible situation. There's an opinion piece in The Guardian by Lindy West that uh, ends uh, nicely, where the, the Lindy, I don't know if that's a man or a woman, I'm guessing it's a woman, says, um, you know, amongst the perception of, uh, I guess, the mainstream, there is no room uh, for the idea that Kyle might have been a good soldier but a bad guy, or a mediocre guy doing a difficult job badly, or a complex guy in a bad war who convinced himself he loved killing to cope with the impossible situation, or a straight-up serial killer exploiting an oppressive system that, yes, also employs lots of well-meaning, often impoverished, non-serial killer people to do oppressive things over which they have no control. Or that the Iraqis might be fully realized human beings with complex inner lives who find joy in food and sunshine and family and anguish in the murders of their children. Or that you can support your country while thinking critically about its actions and its citizenry. Or that many truths can be true at once. Like this woman that he killed. What was her story? What did she... What, what was she into? You know, what was her life like? Was she a fundamentalist um, uh, Muslim... Uh, that wanted to just kill Americans, or was she a woman that was, you know, just happened to be living in Iraq where she had a dictator as a leader for a long time, uh, wanted uh, to support her family and be safe and didn't want to be killed by Marines? Um, maybe, I mean, who knows? Maybe she was, maybe she had a, there was a terrorist in her family and she thought she was going to be, I mean, it's so complicated to even speculate, but uh, this is why I want to get back to Mark Goldbach. I support the uh, no war, basically, principle <laughs> um, for the most part. And that uh, going over there doesn't help anything. And what Chris Kyle did definitely does not help anything. And if you look at that country now, we got ISIS. Uh, it's horrible. And um, what else can be said? A lot more, I, I suppose. But... That's all my thoughts for now. So the anti-sponsor this week is Chris Kyle, American Sniper. And uh, we're going to get on to our talk with Mark Goldbach. First, we're gonna, I'm going to have a music, uh, musical break. I'm going to play a song by jo Joshua James. He's like a folk singer, rock, folk rock, I guess. He has a really great anti-war song called uh, Crash This Train. But I'm not going to play that. I'm going to play my song that I really like by him called Cool War. Uh, it's just a great song. Um, that's uh, Listen to this song. It's like five minutes long. It's a little long. Pretty dynamic. Goes up and down. And then um, we'll get on to our talk with Mark Goldbach. And come my head of the good Lord come. And come my head of the good Lord come. And come my head and the good Lord comes Right up on the mountain just to see what we've done Cutting my hair, cutting till the good Lord comes I ain't open my eyes till we all walk free I ain't open my eyes till we all walk free 
So today on the show, I got Mark uh, Goldbach. I'm saying that name correctly, right? That's correct. Okay. And uh, many years ago, uh, well, let me first say, I consider Mark a hero of mine. Years ago, Mark was some did something that I think is really awesome. He was a, and again, I have a hard time saying this word. He was a conscientious objector. I think Very good. I said that, that right. Was, that was correct. I never say it right. I usually say consciousness objector or consci. It's a hard word to say, I think. Yes. And that's probably would have been a stumble. And not easy to spell either. Not easy to spell, and it probably would have been a... I would have wanted to do that, but the fact that I can't really say it properly most of the time would have made it a difficult time for me to do it. So anyways, this was in um, 1968? Correct. Okay. So I've been thinking a lot about this idea lately uh, as I've sort of drifted further to um, being a almost like a borderline pacifist. We have seen all this violence that's going on in the world um, with the wars that are going on in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and, and everything that's going on. Um, and it's disturbing, and uh, to say the least. And we don't live in a time right now where there's a draft, so I'm not my hand's not forced where I have to go over there. But if I did, uh, you know, I don't know... Uh, well, I would hope that I would, you know, make the decision to do what you did. But let me just go back to the so the Vietnam War started in '63 or '64, I think, right? That's when troops uh, started. Actually, I think it was earlier than that. But um, um, 1964 is when I went to college. Uh, I turned 18, and uh, I was about as ignorant as you can be about it. Things like that. Okay. I've been at a Catholic boarding school, um, and just was not exposed to any kind of liberal notions or or um, uh, took very little interest in politics. And I remember when my father drove me up to college, he said, now don't forget, you have to register for the draft. And I just kind of looked at him like, you know, what the hell is that? Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. Well, um, what state and college and school is this? Uh, I went to St. John's University in Minnesota um, and from my hometown in Madison, Wisconsin. And... Uh, so, uh, actually, I think I believe I registered up up there in September of of 1964. So registered f for the for vote the, or for no for the draft for the draft for the draft, which you had to do when you when you turned 18. And at that point in '64, did you have any idea that like, oh, I might be going to war? Not really. No. Um, I mean, it was sort of in the background of my mind, but I really wasn't um, um, that conscious of it, and. Um, but I remember uh, sitting at a table in the cafeteria, and at the other end of the table, some people were talking about the war, and um, you know that was that was really my first introduction to it as a as a topic, and um, uh, and they were saying that it was a you know a stupid war we shouldn't be there. This and, is a, at, the, at that time. Who, who was the people talking? This was. Uh, they probably would have been upperclassmen. I don't remember specifically who they were, but I just remember the conversation and suddenly, you know, having this awareness that there was something going on in the world that, um, you know, I should know about and that, that you know, I, I don't know if I realized that it might affect me at that time, but it certainly wasn't too long before I realized that, uh, you know, people were being drafted and, and sent over there to fight. This is upperclassmen uh, boarding school kids? Uh, no, this was in college. Oh, in college. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. But so uh, in the cafeteria. Uh-huh. And um, so you registered for the draft before school? Uh, just about the time I went up there. Uh, so it was in the fall, and my birthday was in September. 
and I had to register by by my birthday or just after I think. So and 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 y- when you said you went to co- when you went to college, you hear these kids talking about the war, and you're sort of like, oh, this is uh, something maybe I should know about. Mm-hmm. Um, like today, in the last whatever. 10, 12 years we've been in Iraq, Afghanistan. I guess we're not technically in Iraq anymore. Um, but it's been in the news. There's things happening. Would you say at that point um, it was a, a, a matter of discussion uh, in the general... I mean, basically I'm asking you to speak for all Americans. Mm-hmm. And I know that's <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. unfair, but I'm asking you, Mark. Um, <coughs> did uh, Was it something that people uh, were talking about other than on college campuses, you think, or... It's hard for you to say. That. I, I, I don't know. And, and, and partly I have to back up a little bit because I went to a, a Catholic boarding school in Prairie du Chien, Wisconsin. It was a Jesuit school. Um, and it, it, it wasn't because we were rich, but it was because of, of an accident, really, of, of who my father worked for. I got kind of recruited, and my father asked me if I'd be interested in going to yeah. the school. And I, you know, I, w- I wasn't having a particularly great time in eighth grade, and I thought, yeah, that looks cool. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I had a boarding school, uh, all boys, uh, on the western edge of Wisconsin, and it was a very um, controlled environment. Um, uh, we didn't have access to radios. We didn't have access to newspapers. So you can't, like, follow baseball games and stuff? No. You know, I mean, basically. Basically, we were just there to, to learn and to prepare to go to college. What kind of uh, what kind of town was it? Close to a big city or anything? No, no. It's um, I'm guessing it was a town of five to ten thousand. Ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth. Those. Yes, four years. And yeah. you, you date girls and stuff like that there? Is this like a? Uh, as let's see, not as freshmen, but as maybe sophomores, juniors, seniors. Uh, there would be mixers, and they would bus girls in, and we would have very <laughs> bussing them in. Yeah, bus them in, and we'd have uh, dances, and and it was it was uh, it was terrible. It was really <laughs> terrible, and uh, um, but and but more sec- more pertinently, um, we had ROTC training on Wednesdays and Saturday mornings. Uh, we dressed up in military uniforms. And Voluntary or like this is like this oh, is part of the deal. This no, is the everybody. Jesuit. Yep, mandatory. And we marched around, and at the end of four years, I, I uh, uh, ended my career as a sergeant, I think, which was probably the lowest grade you could get as an upperclassman. You're, you're setting up the story to not be a CO by telling this. is kind of fascinating. And, you know, I just, I th- I just thought it was all kind of silly. You know, I, I didn't – the joke was that they were doing it to get free government butter, <laughs> you know. And, oh, uh, you're, you have kids participating in this program. This is good. So we'll, the federal government gave them yeah, some yeah, grants or whatever. Sure. I mean, I think there was there were yeah. there was reciprocal stuff, but yeah. also I think that the, the philosophy of the school was um, was rather conservative and anti-communist. I remember we'd have um, guest speakers that would come in and uh, rail about the dangers of communism, and uh, you know the the the. The, the wonderful qualities of the United States of America, and um, you know, so that that was just sort of the environment. And do you do you remember if that anti-communism spilled over into like linking and tarring and feathering uh, just mainstream liberals as communists, or was it just strictly like communism's bad and Soviet Union's bad or whatever, or was it pretty? Uh, no, it was, it was mostly anti-communism, not anti you know liberals or you know th- it wasn't McCarthyism. Okay, that's what I meant. Yeah, better definition. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, but it was generally kind of you know rah rah so U.S. E- even though um, see that's already 
conflicting with my understanding of Jesuits because I always thought Jesuits were more uh, the intellectual, curious um, brand of Catholicism that uh, wasn't so much interested in military um, issues at all. If anything, some of the Jesuits would be the ones protesting um, for against wars and civil rights and stuff like that. So that seems well, to... Well, the, the, the Jesuits, it turns out, were not a, a um, homogenous organization either yeah. because eventually they, they closed the school because um, many of the um, um, younger priests felt that they could serve the, the world better okay. by uh, going into poor communities or, or whatever right, right. rather than raising a bunch of... Um, uh, you know, rich kids to be doctors, lawyers, uh-huh. and, and rich parents of, you know, more kids. And uh, so eventually they did close the school. Um, but, you know, while I was there, th- I mean, there was a, a mix of people like any, any other organization, you know, and some of them were pretty conservative and others were pretty cool. And and so know. when you're there, is uh, is there, do you do you now look back and remember any sort of uh, anti-Vietnam uh, Ho Chi Minh d- discussion or was it just like no. you're a high school kid? No. It's like, I'm not really. No, the only, the only political event that I remember, or two that I remember clearly, it was one when Kennedy got shot. Oh, I was in high school. Yeah. And the other uh, was uh, the uh, uh, Cuban crisis. Yeah, you know where, where they actually did allow us to hear, uh, you know, radio broadcasts and stuff like that. It was, I mean, it was really unusual. So when you go to college, and you really are pretty naive, neutral, naive, and neutral. You're yes. almost a blank slate. Right. You're, yeah. you know, that's a good way to put it. You went to Jesuit school. Uh, so, and, and how much did the religious teachings of uh it is a liberal christ of serving others intellectual curiousness to jesuits right or am i getting that wrong um well i thought i think they taught us to critically um, think and stuff like that to think clearly to reason um to to um uh, you know problem solve intellectually um the education was was fairly straightforward you know math science english history yeah you know uh, there's nothing in fact i had a particular interest in art which was frustrating because um i think in my four years there we had one half credit course in art yeah sort that's of an art good. survey course and that was only because one of the jesuits um took an interest in it and, in it and uh, made an effort to uh provide this course for us for the you yeah. know, guys that were interested um in between the R. But they, they did have a strong music program, but yeah. it wasn't what I was interested in. Yeah, so yeah, that didn't yeah. help me much. Um, so yeah, I I left high school with, as you know kind of a blank slate. I was looking forward to going to St. John's, which had an art program. Um, and but uh, the, but the theology was that n- not a big component. I think the, the <laughs> theology was was you know pretty straightforward Catholic. I mean I was I was kind of a hardcore Catholic kid. You know, I belong to the Sodality of Mary, and I serve Mass. And what's the Sodality of Mary? Uh, I'm a former unmolested altar boy. Okay, so it's 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 um just sort of a higher level where you kind of dedicate yourself to the to the Virgin Mary and and uh, promise to be a good Catholic. Okay, and, um, just a kind of a Catholic club. I okay, guess, okay. You know. um, Probably more socializing and than. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I guess there were group activities, but I remember it more as a as sort of a personal commitment. Uh huh. And then. Um, so you did that. You were yeah, like, yeah, yeah I was. I was a straight arrow guy. And that know? didn't. Um, and I and I never snuck off campus, and I never, 
um, you know, fooled around with girls right, in right. the summer. And, well, know. good. I mean, maybe not. I don't know. So maybe you should have. Sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, so when you get to college, uh, you the, you get to these, uh, you hear people talking about mm-hmm. the Vietnam War. Yep. As the months and months and years roll by, from my understanding of American history, this thing just keeps kind of, doesn't go away and escalating and right. m- Americans are getting killed. Right. And the... Um, the uh, the ridiculousness, or the you know, the wastefulness of this starts to become even more ap- apparent to like non-political people. They start to say, "Wait a minute." So, where did you sort of fit in when this was all happening? I mean, this is like well, a pivotal time in your life. You're yeah. going through in college, and well, I, I, I hope you won't ask me for you know uh, dates and events. Oh and no, stuff no, because like no, no, the right. history is is all. I mean, history was never my strong suit. Right. But but the personal. I'm less I'm less interested in American history. I'm more interested in you, Mark. Yes, thank <laughs> you. Well, my in terms of my personal history, I remember I remember that, and then uh, one of the the great um, um, uh, influences in my life in, in terms of my college career was getting involved in the film classic society, and oh, that okay. may seem to be irrelevant. But um, the the uh, wait were there were there classic films? <laughs> yes. As a young person, I consider myself still young. So thinking of film classics in 1964, we're talking. I mean, all the classics. The like, I mean, Godfather wasn't made. <laughs> I know. I know. Yes. <laughs> the Back to the Futures weren't made yet. Yeah. Well, we had, we had in this this um, uh, sequence or series of films. We had ser- you know films from all over the world, from India, South America, Germany, uh, France, of course, uh, Italy. You know, uh, you name it. Okay. Films, and in order to support it, uh, twice per semester we would have uh, a recent blockbuster that w- we would um, show, and, and like a w- general good. And film that would bring everybody in, and they would all pay yeah. pay their money, and that would support the rest of the films that nobody was interested yeah. in seeing. But we would have uh, previews out at um, Professor Burke's house, and. Uh, he was the number one anti-war uh, professor on the campus. Okay. And uh, uh, so, you know, through him and the people that were associated with him, I, I just learned more and more as the years went on. And, you know, I wasn't doing it all the time, but it was always there. You know, it was yeah, always yeah. there, those influences. And pretty soon we were having, you know, I was attending uh, uh, rallies and protests. Uh, I was never a big sports fan. And so I'm proud to say that the only time I was on the athletic football field in college uh, was to protest the ROTC. <laughs> of and, which uh, you were a uh, decorated veteran. Yeah, and we, we were, you know, had the, the, the signs and the placards and stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. And the conservatives threw eggs at us, and it was right. all very exciting. <laughs> um, but, um, but, but Professor Herb Burke was, was really the, the major influence. And... Um, uh, and he's just like a film studies guy. Or well, he was an English professor. English professor, right. okay. And but but he was also just like a, a mentor to all of the, the uh-huh. you know the anti-war uh, folks on campus. And um, um, what did I want to say? Uh, it sounds like but, he, he, but, he but, played but a role he, in shaping. He was a, he was a resource. Yeah. You know, so if you had questions, he'd say, "Well, you need to read this," and he'd say, and, and he would uh, give you. A copy of the um, um, uh, the Quaker. Um, oh, okay. Uh, what was it? The the handbook for conscientious objectors, 
And so you'd go home and read that. You'd think, oh, okay, okay. You know. Now, was this like preparing people to like do make use this defense to oppose the war as like a political maneuver? Um, well, it was a. They were they were conscientious objectors, and so it gave you you know the philosophy. It gave you you know, sort of we call it a Q and A, uh, uh, not a Q and A, but um, a fact now. Questions and answers yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. so you know, frequently asked questions. You know, like. Um, I, I know you mentioned um, being um, uh, in our conversation before. You mentioned yeah. uh, uh, CO having to be opposed to all wars. Right. Well, um, that's that's true. But what they would do is they'd they'd say, well, a typical question you might be asked is, uh, um, what would you have done during the Second World War? And then and then they give you all of this information and resources to to investigate. Uh, about people who did oppose the Second World War, yeah, there was a as number of them. Yeah. objectors, and how they went to jail, and how they, uh, you know, they they stood up for their their beliefs. Well, the Second World War was the good war. Yeah. So but, yeah, to, but to, that was the hard. Qu- but like, not everyone you... believed that. Right. Not everyone right. believed that we should have entered it, that it should have happened in the first place. I mean, so um, it, it, you know, getting involved with this group of people through the Film Classic Society led me to becoming more and more involved in in uh, uh, protesting or at least questioning I wasn't a big protester but yeah. I, but I questioned you know the war and uh, um, uh, and responded to events you know in that questioning way and and then and then also began to investigate my own uh, belief system in terms of war uh, and religion and um, I think it was probably in my sophomore year, that I uh, seriously began to question um, uh, my belief in God and religion and that sort of thing. So this this actually created kind of a dilemma because in order to answer the the first question um, on the application for CO status, um, you know, do you believe in God and does that belief? Um, oh right, yes. Uh, this is going to make lead, it more lead difficult. you to believe that all war all wars are you know, immoral. Because so, it, it seems like, yeah, it, w- it would almost be easier to take the religious path and say, look, I'm a Quaker. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in... Well, I couldn't do that because I was a Catholic. Well, you couldn't you switch? <laughs> no, because that would not look good on your application. Yeah, right, right. Because they look at consistency. Yeah, you know? okay. So um, so the, the thing was to try to figure out how to uh, justify it in terms of Catholicism. Wait, can I just take a... P- before you go on with this point. I just want to clarify something. Was the um was the pamphlet or whatever on the COs was that saying like you need to also think about responses like um if you oppose all wars or this war this is your response. Th- that was a part of the like frequently asked questions. That was so Yeah, yeah, so they so would give you ideas and uh, not so necessarily just one pat answer, but they would give you things to think about. It wasn't it Make wasn't this makes me think that it was specifically a Vietnam war organized effort to like let's not send more people to go to vietnam and it was designed basically for this like this is how you're going to be able to beat well i don't system. i don't know that that's true that okay the handbook or some version of it may have been uh used for the korean for war the, for and the korean war the second world war okay you know i i assume that they had okay you know, some sort of services like okay that. so it was it, it it may have been a general book for yeah okay yeah um so it, what so i've always said in in retrospect is that i spent uh, after I you know, started college, I spent three years um, uh, sort of preparing for 
what I would do about the draft. And then at toward the end of those three years, I spent three years or three months actively researching, you know, what yeah. I believed and what I would how I would answer the questions. And then once I graduated, um, th then I spent th three weeks actually writing my application for CO status. So it's like three years, three months, three weeks. Okay, so wait, let me let me put a pin in a couple things. I want to sure. I want to go back to. Um, this thought about your belief in God and that giving you a, a little bit of a conflict. Okay. And then um, well, let's just pick it up there. So you were having, and, and then I also want to say, so f for freshman year, you basically realized that you were going to be drafted. Okay. Yes. So once you get there, you're like, probably. Okay. Like, yes. Oh, wait a minute. This is going to happen. And yeah. uh, I'm probably going to go there. So you, this was because yeah. it's more present as you're going through college. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. So, um, so, at some point in your junior year, you said you were having this theological crisis, or no, probably soft, sophomore year. Um, um, yeah, I just you know I woke up one morning and I realized it was late for mass on a Sunday morning, uh -huh. and then I thought to myself, you know what, you're just going to go there and think about the next painting you're work, you know, the <laughs> painting you're working on, right. or the next one you want to do, or yeah, or yeah. you'll be looking around to see which you know girls are in the yeah, balcony yeah, right. where you usually sit, right. and I thought. You know, this is this just just isn't right anymore. Yeah. So um, I went. Uh, ironically, I went back to bed and I finished reading um, Franny and Zoe um, by um, Salinger. Salinger, yeah. And uh, and at the end of the thing, it's it's you know it's all about the Jesus prayer, and I just I thought that was <laughs> pretty interesting, like but, a divine intervention. Of yeah, but 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 <laughs> it's, it, it seemed to make much more sense to finish that book than to go to mass. So yeah, interesting. And after that, I would go sometimes, and sometimes I wouldn't. And and to be honest, you know, one is never um, completely rid of Catholicism right. if that's what you're brought up with. You you you're you're like a recovering. Catholic, yeah, and, right, uh, right. So I mean that that's just an ongoing process, but but it was going on all th you know all through college, you know, thinking about that, and and basically my my uh, decision was that um, the draft board was putting up a false barrier. They were saying you need to believe in a god or a supreme being who, uh, you know, in your estimation, requires you to have this, these beliefs, and I thought, okay, you know. Supreme being, conscience, whatever you want to call it, you know, for, to me it's all the same. And I can honestly a answer that, you know, there is something um, that requires me to respond to all wars as if they're, um, you know, stupid and hateful and, yeah. and, 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 and I'm not going to participate. And, and you know, just because the war exists... Um, doesn't mean that it should have, you know. I mean, we need to we need to think about uh, uh, spending as much money for to create peace as 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 to fight wars, you know. Right. Uh, so all of all of the arguments for wars, you know, well they attacked us first, or they did that, or it's in our national interest, or whatever. None none of that outweighs, you know, for me. Um, the necessity to resist that rather than participate in it. Nice, nice. Uh, yeah, that, uh, and so it sounds to me like you didn't have a, it never was like specific to Vietnam War. Maybe that was the impetus. That no, that was the impetus, obviously. But, no, but it wasn't, um, in your own mind, it wasn't like, you know, I might have been, I might be for going to war in a certain situation, but not this one. It was 
you came to the conclusion like well you know and, and and i need to make a distinction too but, uh, um, and it's often confusing to people uh the difference between conscientious objection and pacifism pacifism is the old idea of you know if somebody um hits you in the right cheek you you offer them your left cheek yeah. to hit you again right you know that's 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 not what i'm talking about okay you know i mean if 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 somebody's attacking my wife i would feel perfectly justified and very happy to smack them in the head with a baseball bat right okay you know that's that's not a problem right uh but that's on a personal level that's not a governmental level right. that's not a decision made by a government for other uh -huh. people and uh so you know that that just you know I, that I is think a that's a really important distinction that is a for good people yeah and i'm glad you brought that up that is a definitely a distinction which i think people have uh or unclear on yeah 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 so you know and and that's the question that the draft board would ask you um you know if you had to appeal they'd say well what would happen if somebody were attacking your family well and what you know, how did you respond to that i defend myself i defend them yeah um that's not that's not the same as war you know it's a very different thing you know or war is an organized um you know attack on another another group of people by by a government yeah Okay, I'm going to take a one or two minute break here for a minute. Uh, I thought that was a good point he made. Um, I have all these songs that I record on my cell phone, like more than, I have like dozens and dozens. And eventually I plan on turning some of them into something for real, but I'm going to play two of them real quick, and then we'll get back to uh, our conversation with Mark. Um, so the first one is just me uh, on a piano, nothing exciting. Then the other one is just me on guitar. And actually, I think uh, two birds probably talking in the background. But So here's the first one, just me um, goofing off on the piano. So, so, but you, so, did you then, and do you now? Like, do you take that position? Um, is, does the CEO thing, conscientious objector, is that like for all wars, or is that is it a case by case thing? And and, and back then, was that how did you present? Well, I, th I think it applies to all wars. Yeah. Okay. I mean, okay. even now, people say, well, you know, um, oh, what are we going to do about um, terrorists? Right. You know? Well, we we can we can defend against terrorists without having to go to war against right. them. You know, I mean, obviously the first thing we can do is get the hell out of their 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 part of the world right, and leave right. them alone. Right. You know, then right. then they then they might not S want to hurt. Stop us. dropping yeah. bombs on them yeah. and stuff. Right. Right. Yeah, but I don't I don't want to get into no, that no, whole political right. thing. But, right. But yeah, there's always there's always in my mind an alternative to war. You know, you d you just have to work at it as hard as you work at. And and um. Did the uh, I don't want to get too far down the, in the weeds, I guess, on this, but this application I find interesting that you said one of the first questions was like, do you believe is it because of your belief in a religion that's preventing you from uh, participating mm -hmm. in military combat or however it's worded? Mm -hmm. Did that specific question on that sort of get you to then think about your own views, or did it 
happened beforehand, or maybe you don't remember? Um, well, I think the the questioning of religion really came first because I'm not sure that I um, um, Be- had, before had, that had, had looked into the the idea of an app of applying for CO status until. So you already later. had the answer in your own. You already did that yourself. Yeah. So well, then, uh, that, that, this goes back to the Jesuit education. I remember when um, I got married the first time. <clears throat> And we had to go see the priest and, you know, go through the, the question and yeah. answer period with them. And the priest asked about um, the use of birth control, which, of course, um, they always do. And uh, uh, my wife and I at the time said, well, well, we answered the question wrong. You know, whatever, <laughs> however they phrased it, we answered yeah. it wrong. And he said, well, you know, I don't know if I'm going to marry you if, if, if that's how you feel about birth control. I said, well, I said, you know what? I said, I was taught in theology in high school um, and and then in college, because this was after college, that um, if you intend to commit a sin, it's the same as committing it. So, you know, all this nonsense about using the rhythm method, you know, what's the difference? It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a sin no matter yeah, yeah. what method you use, if you if that was your intent. You're trying, yeah, right. And yet the church teaches that you can use the rhythm method to yeah. prevent conception. Yeah. And um, and we went back and forth, and he never quite admitted that he was wrong, but he never— Well, you got him in the— He, he, in never, your, he never got me to admit that you he was wrong. sly, smart yeah. college kid. <laughs> you know, right. Get, get right. Went past the— Right. Yeah. So um, uh, I, don't, I forget what the question Well, was. just, um, you know, was the—, the you, you sort of answered it, but, like, you already had your— uh, your religious or your belief in God groundings before that question even came up. So right. it wasn't that that made you kind of think like, oh, is it? Because I'm thinking, you know, I would, I may not be as principled as you, Mark. <laughs> and I would say, you know, and I have a Catholic background. Hey, I'm a Catholic and uh, Jesus is against violence, so I'm not going to be participating in this. And you could have done that. Mm-hmm. And would that not have been an easier uh Well, I did. I thing? did. I did um, appeal to the Catholic Church because there were lots of other questions, and I I would be hard pressed to give you one of them. But, can uh, we just actually? That was the hardest one, the first one. C- can you actually just? Can we take a minute and just talk about the whatever the application is? I think that's kind of fascinating. Is it like a? Okay. Um, like how does that the process? You go to a? Is it like a? Ju- I'm thinking like is it a? You go to the. The, uh, some tribunal, <laughs> or is it a piece well, of paper? Is it a bu- <laughs> what? Here, when when you uh, go to the draft board and sign up, they give you a draft status, and then because I was in college, I got a educational deferment, uh-huh. which at that time was. And all of these things are flexible; they change them from time to time depending on the circumstances, the war status, uh-huh. whatever. But at the time. Uh, if I got a uh, educational um, deferment, it meant that basically I could stay in college for four years. Um, and then at the end of that, then they make you uh, 1A, and you're eligible to be drafted. And uh, and then once they've made you 1A, then you can appeal that. And so the appeal is, you know, I think that I... Um, uh, qualify as a conscientious objector, and in order to support that, you have there's this application that you fill out, and it was I don't know, eight pages, you know, something like that, lot, you know, number yeah. of questions, and uh, along with that, you submit um, uh, supporting evidence, um, so documentation that you belong to the Synodality of Mary, that you uh, went to ca- you know Catholic schools for 14 years, um, and then letters of support from. Um, 
uh, priests that you had as teachers, priests that parish priests. So you did uh, submit that those things. Yeah. I, and so you use the, the you use both Catholicism and if I'm mistaken, you didn't. But you, oh, you sort of just agreed to like I believe in a higher being. You never kind of said like I'm an right. atheist. Right. I just I just went agreed to it, it because I, I I thought it was a phony question. You know, and and that because you're, let's put it on the table here, buddy. Yeah, for a long time you had to believe in God, and right. then and then they changed it, and they said, well, you had to believe in God or a supreme being, or you know. But you would say at the time you probably actually were what agnostic of some sort, or you yeah, that would that would that would be a good a good uh, okay. So you're like, ah, I'm fine. I, I'm I'm fine with that. I'll, yeah. I'll go with that. But yeah, you're you're not necessarily at the time a practicing Catholic, but you have all this background yeah. of like being a pretty student. Yeah, in fact, agnostic is a good term because, you know. Yeah, you know, I was I was sort of pretty sure I didn't believe in at least the kind of God that I was brought up believing in, but I wasn't sure that there wasn't something else yeah, that uh-huh. you know sort of fit the bill. Um, so I was okay with that. And um, but that necessarily wasn't driving your your reason for. But I but 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 all of my my uh, history was as a Catholic, so it would be silly to claim to have to to for, um, say, Quaker beliefs in support of my position because I was never you, a Quaker. Why couldn't you do something like this and say, you know, I'm a atheist agnostic. I believe in humanity. I consider myself a secular humanist. I'm against violence. Um, only in maybe just to defend your, you know, yourself or maybe even to defend your country, but I'm against um, aggressive wars, and that's what I consider this. And uh, I I could not shoot or you know well sh- then uh, well my experience with people who did that was that they uh, number one um, were turned down their application was turned down because it didn't fit the criteria uh, number what? two if they stuck with it they they either went to jail or or they went to Canada or you know someplace else or or uh, even you had to tell them what they wanted. You had to fit into the box or whatever of what sort they wanted. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you, you had to fill out the application, and um, and you know I I gave them. I mean, all of my Catholic stuff led up to you know where I was. It wasn't that that was irrelevant. So, um, um, you know, the fact that I had this Jesuit education that taught me how to reason was part of it. Uh, the history of Catholicism, which included. Um, uh, uh, the, a lot of the early Christians were persecuted by the Romans, not because they were Christians, but because they were pacifists. They wouldn't right, join right. the Roman army. Um, so you, you know, really, so you really use this Catholicism to help win the argument. Yes, yeah. Now, because that was part of my history. It was part of your history, and I'm going to ask you something, and I don't want you to. This sounds maybe rude, but I'm going to ask you anyways. <laughs> so, um, you know, and I would have done the same thing. I would have done absolutely what you did, but, um. But at the time, though, you were doing that just to win the argument in your own heart and mind, whatever you want to say. That c- Catholic background, was that really a reason why you were a CEO? Or the, the, o- the, only, the only... Do you understand what qu- I'm asking? The, yes, like, but, but the only question that I had uh, qualms about was the first one. You know, everything else I didn't have any qualms about because because... You know, my history as a Catholic, all of this, you know, the, the, the Boy Scouts, the altar boys, you know, all of that stuff uh, all helped me come to that point where I began to question. Oh, so you do think that did play a role in you 
forming your oh sure worldview. okay yeah okay yeah. yeah I mean it wasn't irrelevant and I wasn't just using it okay okay you know, I mean it was it was all you know a consistent right, right. Uh, path in my mind well so good I I feel good about the Catholic Church again because they created a good you know secular humanist I, absolutely <laughs> yeah I mean you know they 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 um, uh, a man of peace and, 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 well here's the other thing I. You know, I had the Jesuits in high school, and they were they were hardcore, and they were very by the book, and so on. I got to college, and now it's not religion class anymore; it's theology. Right. But they're teaching the same stuff. Uh huh. Right? Uh-huh. <clears throat> so I'm in. I, I think it may have been in freshman year. I'm in theology class, and the priest is is uh, teaching us about the uh, doctrine of the virgin birth. Right. Right. And uh, so he goes through the whole story. And he says, does anybody have any questions? And this guy raises his hand in the back of the class, and he says, uh, Father, uh, you know, I've always felt that that, uh, that story was just a pious myth uh, <laughs> added to, you know, the, the, the whole story, Bible story yeah, by yeah. pious Christians, you know, after yeah. the death of Christ and so on. And, uh, and uh, you know, anyway, that's, that's what I think. And the priest says, well, uh, you, you need to understand that this is not a matter of you know factual history kind of thing. It's a matter of faith, and this is one of yeah. the doctrines of the church, and you have to believe it on faith and yep. so on. And, and the kids, and he says, does that help? And the kid says, nah, not really. He said, I, <laughs> I, I still don't believe it. And the priest, as he's turning away back to the blackboard, says, eh, I don't believe it either, but I can't teach you that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, and I just, you know, and I had been bored silly in that class I, up until that point. I just kind of perked whoa, up and I thought, yeah, whoa, yeah, this yeah. is this is different. <laughs> so so I always say that the Benedictines helped me to decompress from religion because it, their attitude was was. I, I don't know, just much more relaxed. Yeah, you know, we, much much more fluid. We 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 believe in Jesus also, but some of this stuff is a little bit too much, and whatever. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah, gotta go. yeah. So oh, that's uh, fascinating. Yeah, and I and I think that if I, for instance, go on directly from there to a, you know, a state university or something like that, I think, I don't, I'm not sure what the outcome would have been. I think it, you know, my my reaction to that would have been more like, you know coming up too fast and getting the bends somehow uh-huh. and i'm not and sure what going, i would have done well that's interesting i like that uh yeah you maybe you would have went back and mm-hmm. said like well i need you know or i might have just turned into a really you know hateful radical you know angry yeah you know right 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 so. um so let's just finish up on the uh application process okay and then, and then end up the kind of wrap the whole thing up with what you end up doing so um and actually, before I want to ask you, did you, you sort of knew, you you had experience with knowing, because you said, well, I saw some people that chose the uh, Paul Cooley route of saying they're secular humanists, and that didn't work, mm-hmm. right? So you, it's almost like um, preparing for a, uh, you know, trying to get into a great college or something like that, or passing this big test. Like, you mm-hmm. kind of were really, what did you say? Well, here, here here's here's the thing. Um one of the one of the the, the the conclusions that I came to was that um, here I was living in the United States of America, and um, um, they were involved in a war which I, you know, thought was stupid. Uh, I concluded that it was no different than any other war, um, and there was this thing called the draft. But one of the options was to be a conscientious objector, and. Uh, it's not like a, a a free pass, you know. You can you can be a conscientious objector in the military, 
in which case you don't carry a gun, but they put a big red cross on your helmet and you become a target. Um, or you can perform civilian service. So um, to answer your question about the application yeah. process, I filled out the application. I got all my letters together, um, uh, including one from my father who said uh, that I was – you know, probably ruining my life, but he respected you know, what I was doing. Yeah, but he respected what I was doing. I disagree with my son, I was, but I respect And thought him. I was completely sincere, which was wonderful. Best, one of the best letters I ever got. Do you still have anybody. that? Yeah, I do. Oh, yeah, I would love yeah, to read it. Yeah. And uh, uh, so I turned in my application on a Monday afternoon. I walked it down there, handed it in, got a receipt. And <clears throat> I didn't realize that that was the night that they had the board meeting the draft board actual meeting where they, you know, look at these things. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, on Wednesday, I got my answer. And they said, yes, you're a conscientious Oh, objector. wow. Not a long no, way. I, I don't know anybody that ever, you know, usually it was, it was a, a year or two of denials, appeals, denials, appeals. You know, I mean, it was very, usually a very long well, process. Well, Mark, I think, though, you know, it sounds to me like you did your homework and you really did a lot of research well, and it, you had your argument tight. So, uh, and, I, and I also had a draft board in a nice liberal city, Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, you think that played a role? I, I think it played a role. I think they were just, just you know, more uh, reasonable. Than, than a lot of this draft guy's boards. making it easy for us to vote for him to not you know mm -hmm. okay so 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 I did the application uh, a couple weeks later I got a letter saying I needed to report to a bus stop in Madison to go to Milwaukee to have my physical which I did um, and then um, a few weeks after that I got a notice I'd passed the physical and I needed to find a job that contributed to the national health safety or interest. And uh, so I went down and talked to him at the board. And I said, well, how long do I have to find this? What are the rules? And yeah, so on. yeah. And it had to be uh, at least 50 miles from my home. And um, you got to sacrifice a little bit, buddy. Yes, absolutely. You got to sacrifice yeah. a little bit. And um, is, this a stumbling block by, is this a stumbling block, by the way? Were there people that were like, I'm not even going to do that? And it's like almost like they're trying, they're wanting to get arrested or something? Yeah, I, I don't. You know, I don't. I didn't know that many people. Like, did you? Did you say like, "Oh yeah, I'll do that"? Like, yeah. were you unaware of that was a thing? Were you like, "Yeah, I'll do some civil service thing. That's fine." Um, quite quite a few people that I knew of or knew who uh, applied, and it took them years of you know hearings and appeals and so on. Um, were never drafted. And the reason they weren't drafted was because it didn't contribute to the local board's quota. In other words, they were required to come up with, say, 100 guys a month. Yeah. And um, um, drafting a CO didn't, didn't help them, didn't count as one of the 100. Uh-huh, okay. So a lot of times they were just ignored. They said, okay, we're, you know, screw it, we're done with you. Uh, in my case, they were very efficient, and they went through all the steps. Oh, the board. And, and they, the, yeah, they, yeah. they drafted me. And um, so I ended up, I had friends in, in Cleveland, and <clears throat> so I um, hopped on a plane, went down there. You even had, like, uh, agency in where you went? Yeah. They, they said, you can find it, or if you don't 50 miles care away, to, yeah. we'll, we'll, give, we'll give you a job. We'll find one for you. And um, so in that sense, they were very liberal. Um, you know, as long as somebody was willing to take me as a CO. And so I got a job in, at a hospital in Cleveland. Um, uh, hospital that treated uh, retarded children, and um, uh, they paid me the going rate. I got a job as a activities therapist. Um, 
they they assigned me to the the art room, yeah. which was you know great because yeah. art was my background. Yeah, um, and I worked there for two years at at regular pay, uh, and it was it was it was fine. I didn't I didn't get hassled. You only people. had to do two years. Yeah, you were required two to do years, two years, and that's and then you're you yeah. And then I got a letter saying I was no free to go. You don't have to ever. And and by right. this time, it's what 1970, right? Yes. And but, you, you're but, not but but I know of knew of other people who got drafted um, a friend of mine from Boy Scouts in particular and he um, they didn't give him those options they said go I, I, they said you're drafted you're working in this hospital in Chicago and even though you've got a degree in social work you're gonna sling a mop oh, yeah. you're gonna sling a mop for they're, two they're years gonna, they're gonna they're you know, irritated at, with them. at minimum pay or whatever yeah you know so I mean you know the the, the, the treatment and the and the way the draft boards dealt with people was inconsistent you yeah. know, all across the country. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But you know, I feel fortunate. But the point was that you know, here's a country where the, where you actually have a choice. You know, most countries that 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 you know uh, induct people into the service, you don't have a choice. You're just you're just grabbed. You said We've, you're mine for right. two, three years, five years, whatever, and you do what you're told. You know, right. or or you you know you go in jail or, or yeah. get shot or yeah. whatever. And um, so I felt, you know, not a perfect country, but, you know, you have an option. Well, yeah. Why not? If you if you believe in that option, you know, then just do it and shut up. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there there are downsides. I mean, I have I got no GI benefits for being drafted. Yeah. I, you know, um, you know, it's just they just take two years of your life and tell you to do something that you may not want to be doing. And in fact, I had to give up a. Um, um, uh, teaching uh, a position, uh, TA position at, at um, um, what was it, um, Tulane University in New Orleans. And uh, full full scholarship, TA position, and a stipend. Well, you don't have, uh, and hopefully you don't have this, but you, you didn't get PTSD from being in Vietnam. You didn't right. get Agent Orange, right. all that stuff. Right. You don't have the horrors of that in your, right. rattling around in your brain. So, yeah. um, Although although the, uh, the, the kids at the hospital uh, did their best to, to try to make to, that happen. <laughs> to kill me twice, you know. Yeah. One, once with a pool cue and, and once with a chair. So, uh, well. but, uh, <laughs> but I suppose it's it's uh, better than being shot at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, thank you for having this talk with me. I find it very fascinating. I'm very proud of your service. We're recording this the day before Memorial Day. I don't know when this is going to get posted, so I think it's kind of uh, fascinating that we're doing it that day. Um, I do have one more question, and that is maybe one more. Um what the heck's wrong with Cleveland? Why'd you leave? Why didn't you stay? I live um, in Cleveland. Come I, on. Well, it, it, if I could have gone back to New Orleans, I, I would have loved to have done that, but they didn't have any money by the time I reapplied. And uh, so what I ended up doing was going back to back home, back to Madison, to kind of regroup. And then uh, eventually I got uh, accepted at Washington University in St. Louis where I did my graduate work. Mark, you did yes. not answer my question. Why? What's wrong with St. Louis? What's wrong with Cleveland? Or Cleveland, I mean. Yeah. All right. Um, while I was there. Girlfriend. No. Did date somebody? The Cuyahoga River caught on fire and burned <laughs> a bridge down, right? <laughs> and if you drove into town, I was out on the, the, the southern suburbs. If you drove into town on the highway. We have a lot of you Ohio would, you would, listeners. You would drive through different colored clouds depending on which factory it was coming from. So they're gray brown yellow red okay. you know, white clouds as you of i mean it was it was it was not you know heaven on earth yeah <laughs> well mark i think you definitely answered the question of 
what was wrong with Cleveland in 1970. Yes. So <laughs> and, 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 and this will be the last thing, but if, if you want. Yeah, but, go ahead. But uh, I learned recently that, that the significance of that fire and burning down the bridge was not that it happened, but that that was the last time it happened. <laughs> right, right. So. That it, <laughs> it happened multiple times. And mm-hmm. now they have a great beer that they called Burning River. Yes, <laughs> the, the yes. Great Lakes Brewery. And, we, and we have it in Wisconsin and we drink it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That and Edmund Fitzgerald. Yes, yes. that's right, yes. that's right. All right. Well, anything else? Anything else you'd like to add about your CO time or uh, that? You know, there there are other things we could talk about, but uh, I think that that kind of covers the tra- trajectory that you uh, yes. had in mind. Okay. Yes. Well, well, thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. All right. Bye. So it was a pleasure. Yes. Thank you so much, Mark Goldbach. Wasn't that a great conversation? Learned a little bit. Um, would you become a conscientious objector? I hope you would. Okay. Um, the uh, musical break was by Joshua James off his record, uh, Build Me This, in 2009. Uh, it's a pretty good record, actually. Okay, we'll try to have another episode before July. And... Uh, Enjoy this summer. It's June. It's happening. Wear sunscreen, please. And if you get an illness, finish and you get antibiotics, finish the entire bottle. More on that possibly next episode. on Facebook at facebook.com slash PRC show or follow us on Tumblr at prcshow.tumblr.com. All of these episodes can be found at soundcloud.com slash PRC show. Your host is Paul Robert Cooley Jr. Technological consultant, sound design, host curation, and music production is also by Paul Robert Cooley. Emotional support brought to you by the roommates of Salvador and Kate G. Executive producers Josh Ferris, all labors donated. Thanks for listening. <laughs>